0: Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. And now, a word about the sponsor of our podcast, Anchor. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of That Anthro Podcast. My name's Gabby and I'm your host. This week we have our first ever international guest, so please give a warm welcome to Stephanie Black um, or adventuring archaeologist on Instagram. She's a good friend of mine and I met her on my field school in Menorca, Spain, and I was so, so happy that she agreed to come on and talk to you all today. So without further ado, please welcome Stephanie Black. Hi, Steph, welcome on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, first of all, you are our first ever international guest and listeners. Steph is recording today with us all the way from Australia. We even had some technical problems. It was very fitting. (laughs) So thank you for so much today for joining me on the podcast. Why don't we start out with you telling um, the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your interests, where you went to uni, etc.? Well, I am obviously from Australia, if you can tell from my accent um, I don't, I suppose for interests, I'm obviously really into archaeology. that's like what my degree is in. Um, I went to uni at Macquarie University, which is like five minutes down the road from my house, so it was very, very convenient and yeah, I live in Sydney, Australia, so that's often quite easy for international people to know where that is. Yes. Um, so what are some of your favorite things or memories or places growing up and living currently in Australia? I love our wildlife. I never, ever get bored of sitting out on my back deck and being able to hear the kookaburras laugh in the trees. And I, I definitely have to say our nature. And I'm actually, after the recording of this podcast, going to go for a walk in the bush near my house with my That's mom. Great so it's just you just can kind of go right from your backyard you have access to like so much wildlife yeah yeah we're really lucky that where we live I kind of call it like a corridor of nature like we're surrounded by suburbia like we are suburbia but then like I can look out from my back deck and it's just trees it's beautiful is Sydney as a whole more um urban or and then that's kind of on the outside or is Sydney Sydney not a super busy city Sydney is quite busy but it's also like really small like what I would consider to be the city of Sydney is like almost just one street and then you which is kind of weird because people like oh but Sydney is like a big city but we have a really big sprawl that goes for miles and miles outside of like the main city center so like I'm technically from Sydney but I'm like 30 kilometers which I'm not quite sure what that is in miles like away from the center I think that's maybe like 50 miles yeah that's that's a rough estimation um <laughs> I might need to cut that out because that might be totally wrong um <laughs> so you went to Macquarie and was your uh, major initially archaeology or was it kind of something you discovered a love for I when I was 10 I really really wanted to be an archaeologist like I legitimately like wrote down in some book I know I went through a weird phase of writing things randomly in like art books that I really wanted to be an archaeologist and so my degree is actually a Bachelor of Archaeology with a major in anthropology. Oh. But in Australia, our anthropology is only cultural. We don't like have the distinction like you have in the US of all the different kind of anthropologies. Um, and I literally walked into my bedroom because my mom I was like 17 and she's like, you need to figure out what you're doing your degree on. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just went onto my laptop and I was like, oh, there is a Bachelor of Archaeology. I don't need to learn an ancient language because I am terrible with languages. I was like, brilliant, this sounds great. And I just chose anthropology because the the major choices were in alphabetical order. And (laughs) I was really into watching Bones at the time. And I was like, oh, an anthropologist, I'll I'll do that. Yay! A lot of foresight on my part, a lot of planning, as you can tell. Yeah, well, I think, uh, honestly, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I got interested was definitely Bones. And then I was mm. like, I love the, the treasure hunting movies, not that ar- real archaeology is treasure hunting, mm. but that, that the idea of m- many cultures, travel, I always knew, like, I wanted to do something with travel, um, which brings me to that you've done a lot of travel, both for fun and for archaeological projects, which we'll get to kind of late, later in the episode. Um, but what have been some of your favorite favorite countries that you've traveled to, and some of your favorite like memories and activities you did um while you were traveling? That is such a difficult question because I feel every country has something so unique about it and has oh, been so different yeah um i've done well i I think it's easy to um answer my favorite activities it's been when you can go and visit a country but they're having like a local festival on and weirdly mm-hmm. that's happened quite a few times when I've done archaeology like when I was in Italy they had the Jostra and it was like two weeks of like non-stop partying like this special pasta that this village only has during this time and it was amazing just to sort of experience that local culture and when I was in Poland I think they said it was like a music festival or something I didn't really understand because I don't speak polish but it was really cool and then when i was in bulgaria we randomly went i think it was their independence from the ottoman empire it was some kind of independence thing for bulgaria i feel there's anyone from bulgaria listening i do apologize for remembering yeah. we just I, like the supervisors hadn't fully explained what the event was so we just showed up and there's like tanks and people cheering and waving the bulgarian flag <laughs> and we're like hey what what are we celebrating <laughs> that's really cool but yeah um, if you had to say, what well, what are countries that you repeatedly like to visit or plan to in the future, obviously where things are different right now, but Yeah, I would love to go back to Italy. The last time I was in Italy was 2016 when I went from the archaeology that I was doing. And uh, there's just something I really love Italy, Um, probably some more of Eastern Europe, because that's where my mum's from. And she's done like a DNA test and found like the specific region of Eastern Europe where she's from. So I would love to kind of go there and explore more. But I love Poland. Poland actually is probably Poland's my favorite country, I would say. And Prague is my favorite city which I know sometimes can be a bit controversial for Prague. That That is one of my, my grandmother's favourite cities when she visited Prague. She loved it. Um, mm. I def- definitely, I have a lot of places that I'm hoping to get to when uh, Miss Corona is under control. So I yeah. what year did you graduate from uni? I don't, I realised I didn't know that. Oh, um, 2017 was, yeah, when, that was when I finished. Okay, great. So since then you've, how do you want to describe, you've done a lot, you've done a lot, which is amazing, but you've kind of, what? how would you describe the last couple of years of your life? Um, A lot of flights. Yeah. For a girl who, like, didn't take her first flight till she was 13 and then her second one not till she was 16, I feel like I'm making up for lost time or something. I, I Yeah, I'm really good at packing my suitcase for... Yeah, archaeology. I'm, I'm like, I've got it down to a T. Yeah. But I still somehow manage to forget things. I'm seriously, you would think for someone that does as much traveling as me, I would be like, I can, I have everything. No, there is always something I forget. I think, I think everyone's like that. You are not alone. Um, packing a, <laughs> being able to pack a good suitcase. That, that's a skill. Um, mm-hmm. so when you graduated from uni, kind of what, what was your mindset going forward? You took a lot of like volunteer field opportunities. Was that the plan or did those kind of like just fall into your lap? 2019, definitely, I did not plan. The only thing I planned was going to an archaeological dig in Dubai for three months. And I had a return flight to Australia. I didn't return to Australia till March of 2020. So that gives you an idea Mm -hmm. of how I planned it. Um, When I originally graduated, I like knowing what's happening in the future and the idea of not knowing what I was doing once I finished my bachelor's was terrifying to me mm-hmm. so I actually went and worked as a house tutor in the UK in a boarding school up in Yorkshire so the north of England it was very cold which uh, um, your stories from that entertained me through our field work together I have to tell our <laughs> listeners um, not necessarily um maybe for this podcast but those are some that you had you had one you had an interesting experience being a house mom. Yeah, it was definitely an experience. That's a very polite way I think of saying that. But it's because I'm a dual citizen with the UK, so my mum's English. so my accent isn't 100% Australian. So if, so yeah, if anyone from Australia listens, they'll be like, this isn't a real Australian accent. <laughs> um, and if I work for three years in the UK, I don't need to pay international student rates. For masters, and that's what I really want to do is do my masters and just kind of further education, just because there's more opportunities in Europe and England was kind of the easiest place for me to look at doing that. So that was the main reason. Yeah. And then over the summer of 2018, I went on an archaeological dig in Spain. And I had a very good experience at the field school. And the director offered me the opportunity in January of 2019 to Volunteer work—I know how you describe it—in Dubai on a dig he was doing there for three months, and I was like, you know what? I am having an interesting time at the boarding school, but I think this is sort of a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and so I took it. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll get back to your experience in Dubai, but first, um, I kind of want to. What is your overall perspective? You've now done a lot of various field projects and excavations what it? what's kind of your overall perspective what have you learned through everything that you're like oh now I have this information like going forward and also I really want to talk about since you have worked in so many different countries uh there's a lot of different like cultural and um cultural practices in regards to like archaeology but also governmental like restrictions oh. um and kind of what has your been your experience with all of that it has been interesting. I think definitely, I think back to myself, like little 2016 me going off to do pottery analysis in Italy and I suppose there was a level of naivete about the whole situation. I'm kind of a very um, introverted person, which you wouldn't think, but I took the Myers-Briggs test. It said I was an introvert and I was like, hmm, I kind of agree with a lot of stuff that's being said here. Um, and you, can't, you really need to put yourself out there for archaeology. Like, I've been to so many digs where people have come from overseas and they're, you know, we, we can be in some really remote places and you do need to be prepared for the remoteness of the job. Yeah, um, in, Like, places where people don't speak English and that's that's just how it is. And so you need to find some way to adapt. Hand signals and pointing goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Also, like, emphasis in words. you can You can tell a lot. Um, so also being able to advocate for yourself and sort of go, hey, I'm not comfortable with this situation or, you know what, the fact we haven't had any running water for a week is probably a problem. And for some reason, our housekeeper had a one year old's birthday party that had fireworks going off. At midnight and people screaming outside the window at three a.m. Yeah, we're not going to be happy and perky at seven a.m. to go walk through fields for six hours. Mm-hmm. So, can we not do that today? Yeah. Um, That's something yeah, about archaeological work too. Is that lock? You're you're not well. Maybe some people are, but I would say most people are. You're not staying in a hotel while you're doing yeah. your work. You're normally staying either in a in a local residence or. Some something like that and so mm-hmm. you're living in doing different customs than you would normally do at home especially I feel like as an American um there's there's transitions um towards that and so you like you lived in Spain for two months okay. I think yeah was that yeah. the longest you've been in one place or no um during that well, time about, of bouncing like, no. around Yeah, I mean, in October of last year, I finally got my first paid job in archaeology in Oxford in the UK. So that was kind of, that was five months I was there before I came back. Mm -hmm. But previous to that, yes, Spain was kind of the longest I'd been, quote unquote, volunteering. um, The beautiful beautiful Menorca. Oh, I miss it so much. Do you know how many times I'm like, especially with this warm weather, I'm like, you know what, I could, I could just, I could just go to the beach right now, you know, just walking off those rocks or just sunbathing, some pomada. Mm -hmm. I got my parents some pomada. We, like, got gin and stuff. And I was like, guys, we need to drink this. And I feel like I was the only person who was enthusiastic about it and liked it. Oh, no, I loved that. And uh, just Mm -hmm. all the memories I have from that trip are really wonderful. It was such a great group of gals and a few what well, we had like two or three three guys but um and obviously yeah. you were a big part of that as well um so let's let's talk all about Dubai what was the it, what was the experience both the work but also obviously a big cultural shift and scenery and uh probably <laughs> culture and environment shift yes yeah, so previous this has been my first time or was my first time working in the middle east and it was actually very instrumental for me because that's where I've now decided I want to do my major. And that was kind of one of the oh. reasons I wanted to go that was because I wanted to, because in my undergrad, I'd done a lot of stuff about Yemen, about the religion there. So I thought, oh, maybe I want to do my master's on that. But then from being on this archeological dig, they have um, this stone that they made a lot of vessels with. Um, so they basically used it like in, instead of pottery, they made like a, a stone bowl. So I really want to study that, the the stone, basically, in a very broad sense. Yeah, um, it was definitely an an interesting experience. Like My supervisor, um, before we went, when I was in Spain, was kind of explaining, he was like, you know, it is a different culture. You do need to be aware that um, it's a Muslim country. Mm -hmm. Um, In some respects, it is quite conservative. So those were kind of considerations you don't really have to think about when you're in Europe, even with the different cultures. Um, it was out in the middle of the desert, next to a military base that is not on Google Earth. So every time you can see the site, but you can't see like anything around it. And there's a lot of stuff happening in the desert out there. Um and you're we were a 40 minute drive thereabouts from internet, and that was just like a small little cafe in in amongst all these apartments randomly in the middle of the desert. And then I think I feel it feels like an hour from Dubai or something. Like we were out, out in the middle of the desert. So when I say, oh, yeah, I was in Dubai, yeah. people are like, oh, like the city? I'm like, no, no, not the city. Yeah. But you did um, get to do some traveling in the city. I've seen a couple beautiful pictures of some monuments you saw. Yes, we did. Because we had three months there and kind of we were in the middle of the desert. And like, you don't want to stick at us. Like every weekend, we'd be going off to different things like going to Dubai, Abu Dhabi. 10 out of 10, I would go back to Abu Dhabi just to go to the Louvre there. Mm. It is my top three museums, probably, I've ever visited. It was amazing. It was stunning. The architecture. Oh, I could rave about that museum for ages. I loved it personally. That's great. So, what are the other two? I'm just curious. Top three museums? Um, definitely the Louvre itself, yes. like, you know, in, the French Louvre, in I should heaven. say. Yes. Oh, such a beautiful museum. And probably the Australian Museum in Sydney, it's like r- quite small compared to international standards, but I just have really fond memories of going there as a kid. We had like one of those yearly passes you can get and then my dad renewed it for another two years. And yeah, I just have really great memories of that museum. So yeah, that's why I say my top three. That's special. Um, So what were some of those, you said Abu Dhabi, other places in uh, that you, other monuments or uh, places you visited from your time in the Middle East that you would like to tell us about? Um, I would actually recommend going to Hata, which is the town on the border of the UAE and Oman, mainly because there's a restaurant there, which is like dirt cheap, considering how expensive Dubai, like Dubai is and just in general. And we got two massive lamb shanks on top of a massive mound of rice. I'm, I'm very focused around my stomach, so often when I recommend places, I'm like, you could go here, because the food is amazing. It was, like, the best lamb I've yeah. ever had. Well, that's a big rec- part of travelling, is eating the local food. Yeah, and it was interesting also being in Hata, because like you would go around the local park and there'd be families out. And so you felt more in like the local culture because there's more of a place I think where people from Dubai go on like a weekend break or they have a bit of like holiday there because there's a massive dam mm-hmm. that people visit. It's kind of like the tourist attraction there and the mountains are stunning. And there's a whole bunch of little, burials up there that the same company that I was in Dubai for had previously worked on so that was also why we went to was so we were then like traipsing and climbing over rocks in these mountains finding all these burials which was quite cool that is interesting um so let's transition into um this the later summer of 2019 because right after mm-hmm. we met in um in Menorca you did you went to Scotland to do work correct yes so I did two different digs in Scotland okay so what type of work were you doing there and how long did you stay I particularly want to know all about the volunteering that you did in the local community because you got to dress up and look (sighs) amazing but also kind of interact with the local community where you were doing work which is obviously a really important part of anthropology and archaeological work Oh absolutely yeah I 100% agree with that. Um so the first dig I went to was in a place called Dunfermline which is just outside of Edinburgh. Um and that was we were digging in the local abbey cemetery because in the 1920s they'd done a whole bunch of landscaping and for some reason because the the graveyard was terrible they're saying there was like an ooze coming from the graveyard and like gases and smoke it all seemed very atmospheric at the time and probably stunk um they did a whole bunch of landscaping they had knocked down like a building and they basically put all the rubble there stuck grass on top and then they weirdly raised some of the graves like to be at the new like ground level but then they left some buried So we were kind of going through and digging down to kind of find the graves so we could have a record. So if people are doing family history and stuff, they could have that information. Um, And it was through that dig that we then spent a weekend up at the Cranog Centre. And for your listeners who may not know, a Cranog, I'm going to explain this badly. So if you're from Scotland, I apologise for butchering your history. Basically, it's like... A Maldives overwater villa, but Iron Age style. So it's a small, like, hut that's dug out into the locks. And it's just sitting on stilts. And so there's this big centre there where people can go and visit. And they had this open day where they had a whole bunch of different, like, craftspeople who do, like, traditional crafts. They had stuff like dyeing wool and spinning it. I think there was, like, a metal worker. And we got to dress up and help out so we buried a whole bunch of horse bones so then any kids that come or like adults could practice doing a little bit of archaeology but my favorite thing was playing the games so they had a whole bunch of like old-fashioned iron agey games oh that's so cool yeah that was that was a lot of fun it was really cool getting again to like interact with the public and kind of talk about archaeology But the best thing was we actually got to sleep for one night in the Kranog, and you would think sleeping on basically a pile of tree trunks and tree branches over freezing water would be uncomfortable. Can confirm it is not. When the apocalypse happens, I'm building myself a Kranog. It's easy to defend. Like, I made myself (laughs) a nest. They had all these, like, animal furs for people to sit on because people would go into the Kranog during the day to hear, like, stories and stuff. And I just got a couple of them. The floor was, like, lined with – I suppose when you shear a sheet, kind of that extra fluff that comes off, like, not the kind of fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just – I put that under me. Then I laid down all these skins. And then, I mean, I had my sleeping bag. We did kind of cheat. Um, and genuinely the best night's sleep I have ever had. It was amazing. That is I really amazing that. to hear. That is so yeah. cool that you got to have that experience. And – um what what was the weather like while you were there was it it was actually okay i know scotland's kind of stereotyped with having really wet weather mm-hmm. it was i think it was kind of overcast but there definitely it definitely was i think sunny i don't know i'm trying to remember back and like because it was about a year ago now yeah it it was nice so yeah when traveling happens definitely definitely go to the Cranog center yes um so now let's talk about your what you said your first paying archaeology job uh, was yes. a commercial dig and mm-hmm. um I just was curious about the differences between kind of you know professional archaeology and then more like scientific um excavations that you've done in the past in commercial archaeology it's all about being quick because especially, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, um, there's a, it's like for all the building projects that they're doing, they, you have to go in and check and see about the archaeology. So kind of they like the building company can't stop building and can't stop doing what they need to do until we've done our archaeological survey and research. So sometimes it, all that happens is you just have an evaluation stage where a whole bunch of big trenches are dug in the field. And you just check. I was on one and we found nothing inside the trenches. So that was easy. We could just sign up and go, yeah, there's nothing here. So then they can go ahead and building. Um, But if we do find something, then you get different stages of doing excavations and discovering exactly what's there and then writing reports and all that kind of fun stuff. And did you guys say that you ended up excavating a skeleton? yes I did you know how like we excavated skeletons in Spain mm-hmm. and it was like a chill it was relaxed we were chatting no yeah. I was on period it was hailing I was I'd only i had been in the job for a while but I was still they had this sort of training scheme um and it was a super crumbly skeleton it was ridiculous um and the only reason I was excavating it was because the woman for that site who was normally in charge of the skeletons, she'd been moved to a different site and the supervisor hated digging skeletons and hadn't excavated one in like 10 years and the two other people working there had never done a skeleton. So they're like, here, youngest member of the team, you excavate this. And I was like, I haven't excavated a skeleton in like three months. I've never done it on on a commercial site. And it was coming down with sleet. And little bit of hail as well. So that was added to the atmosphere of digging in the UK. Real archaeology is just it's so glamorous, isn't it? (laughs) Oh absolutely. People are like, oh, it must be like amazing. It's like Indiana Jones. I'm like, no. Think 19th century (laughs) farm worker with a couple more rights. Yeah. Like we're still using a pick, we're using a shovel. Like it's interesting, like working with the construction industry because a lot of like they're not really out shoveling stuff; they're using big machines. That's how kind of that industry's move. But because of the delicate work we often have to undertake, yeah, you can't do that. So <laughs> you're still, yeah, using those hand tools. Yeah. And then the skeletons crumble. You've excavated um, it beautifully, and then it just crumbles in your hand, and you're like, "Oh, oh, it was." I just it was, you out uh, of the ground so carefully i know oh it's the worst though isn't it when you like lift a bone and you try and get a bone out, cracks and you i just i feel it like you know in my stomach i'm just like yeah. um one of my friends sent me a tiktok of uh, someone saying you know how how can you tell if something is ceramic rock or bone and you stick it to your tongue and she sent it to me and she said do you actually do this and i was like Yes, I am guilty of having done that. <laughs> oh, I will neither confirm nor deny yeah. that there have been many, yeah. many times <laughs> when it was hot in Spain and I was exhausted and I was being yelled at by the supervisor and I was just like ah, having a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just um, li- li- gonna—I don't know if it sounds a problem. I don't know if I should say it, it sounds dirty. Yeah, it's <laughs> literally dirty, but. Um. So moving on from that into your Instagram, which is at Adventuring Archaeologist, which it'll be in the description. And by now, I think we've already said it like five times. But anyway, in case you guys didn't catch it before, that's who that's what you should be following. Uh, so you post a lot of content there. And uh, you've kind of entered into a role uh, of promoting products or you know working with brands kind of what has Mm -hmm. that been like and how did initially were you always planning on kind of doing your Instagram in connection with archaeology or did those two like the, the social media world and the work world just kind of combine themselves naturally um I mean I've had this Instagram account for ages and I've changed the name about a thousand times but I I was like I really enjoyed watching or, like, seeing the content of, I suppose, quote-unquote, travel influences. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why don't I add archaeology to that mix? Because I think, even not even archaeology, but, like, ancient history, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, I did have links sent to me about how Native Americans were actually, like, African, and there'd been, like, an African empire before European settlement. Um, that was interesting. And also, when I was in the UK, if I hear once more about lizard DNA and stuff and like aliens, I will like scream or or attack someone. Like, you go, Oh, yeah, I'm an archaeologist. And I'd someone go, Oh, yeah, because like we've got all that lizard DNA and like the probes. Literally looked at them and went, Yeah, we also share 80% of our DNA with a banana. Yeah. (laughs) So, and just walked out of the room. I'm like, I can't deal. Yeah. Um, it has been interesting working with brands. I didn't I didn't necessarily set out to do that. It was more just, hey, I want to – I like taking pictures. And also from kind of my own professional standpoint, I'm like, it can be only beneficial to be good at taking photos at least or having some kind of photo editing capabilities because there is some of that in archaeology. Like you need to take pictures of all the sections you dig and kind of stuff like that. Definitely. Um, it was also useful when my laptop got stolen. So I had all of 2019's pictures oh. stolen as well. Oh, um, except one wow. I posted on Instagram and Facebook. So I was quite thankful for it when that happened. Yeah. Is it also is it something you're hoping to continue to grow? Yes. Yes, it definitely is. I've just joined an agency, which sounds super professional, and I attended <laughs> my first event um, up in northern New South Wales on the coast in a place called Byron Bay that felt very fancy. There were some, like, D-list celebrities there that I didn't know who anyone was. I, like, showed up to this event. It was very old a millennial, felt late 20s, early 30s kind of crowd. And I'm like, I don't really fit in here, but okay. Uh, you got to explore a lot around Byron too. I was following on social media, which, like, fun. Yeah. It was beautiful. And I'm also – because – In my, Even though I studied in Australia, I didn't learn a lot of Indigenous history, so kind of through my Instagram and, like, just in general in Australia, we have this deep and rich history that people don't really know about. So I'm trying to do my little bit, like I've been trying to put um, the names of local uh, clans and nations and all that kind of stuff into my captions and kind of give a little history because obviously I'm obsessed with history, so it's also my own personal rabbit hole that I go down and I'm like, why not share it with my platform? Yeah. It's wonderful. You're getting to disseminate that information. And especially when it's about, um, is it the Aboriginal population of Australia? Yeah. 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 When it's especially about the native populations, it's so important to be educated Mm -hmm. on that, especially if you live there or you're visiting there Um, Mm. being, you know, as informed as we can. That's, that's, that's the goal. Uh, (laughs) yeah so the last thing i have to ask you is do you have any book or podcast recommendations for my listeners but also i i'll I'll definitely it'll it'll i'll be listening to them too um because i it's something i kind of want to start asking my guests because i know we're, we're all bored like we're all trying to find things to do and all the people i have on the podcast are so interesting so do you have anything that you've been listening to or reading that you would like to share? Um, I really got into the my favorite murder podcast, and I was listening to that all the time while excavating um, when I was in the UK. It helped distract from the cold weather. A little bit surreal though when you're hearing about like serial killers and true crime, and then you're looking down mm-hmm. at the body that you're putting into bags, and you're like, yeah. right, this this isn't weird at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I. That's, that's been my main podcast I've listened to. But then I've been doing a lot of audiobooks with my mum and we're currently going through the Mortal Engine series. We're on to the third book. Um, so, yeah, I've been enjoying that. So not, nothing terribly, like, academic or... <laughs> eyebrow i've been in isolation watching a lot of netflix as well not gonna lie oh i have been too but now i'm forcing myself to Mm. also consume some intellectual content like i got some murder mystery books by patricia cornwell um she's a she it's it's based off her life but it's fictional and it's like um you know, forensics court, she's a coroner. And so then you know, working with the FBI and it's, it's very, um, it's like watching a very extended episode of CSI or something, but you're reading it. It that those have been what I'm obsessed with. And then my other recommendation for our listeners is the ologies podcast by Ali Ward. I've posted on the Instagram a few times and I cannot emphasize enough checking it out because First of all, she has any like any ology. So Egyptology, m- mammalogy. I'm trying to think of she has like every like these niche subjects and it is so cool. There's also a lot of anthro, obviously, which is really cool, but that has been my obsession. And I hope one day I'm a cool enough podcaster to reach out to her and she'll see that. You are a cool enough podcaster. Yeah, someone's writing me intro music. We're gonna have that. This fun fact, guys. We're gonna have intro music soon. How excited <gasps> that, is that? That is amazing. That I think that full on legitimizes you to have intro yeah. music. I'm yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't have to edit this episode at all because it went great. So I'm happy. Hey, thanks for listening. Give us a follow on Instagram at That Anthro Podcast for more behind the scenes content. Also, make sure to check out our other episodes and leave us a rating on Apple if you liked us. Thank you.